Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You guys, you guys, we have to come together. We have to band together. Our time is now. Our fight is here. We cannot let Timothy Chalamet bring Wonka to Broadway. Oh my God, did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? Oh my God, guys. Jake has a podcast. Jake has a podcast. Oh my God, Jake has a podcast. What's up, everybody? My name is Jake Workman, and this is Oh My Pod, you guys, a musical theater and pop culture podcast. Y'all, I am wasting no time today because there is an imminent threat to our society, and that is Timothy Chalamet threatening to reprise his role of Willy Wonka on Broadway. No, just no. We, we cannot stand for this. I'm making chocolate, of course. No, no, we're not doing that. Like, you guys, have you seen the video of Hugh Grant introducing himself in, like, a French press junket where they're like, can you tell us who you play? And he goes, Moi, je joue le Oompa Loompa. So sad. <laughs> like, he is not happy to be there. We cannot allow this movie to infiltrate the sanctity of Broadway. It will not happen. We already had a Willy Wonka musical. We don't need that again. I have had it. But anywho... This week, I had the absolute pleasure of seeing my friend, Emma Pittman, friend of the pod, in her Broadway show, Back to the Future. And you guys, I was absolutely floored. I had heard so many different things about this show. You know, it's very campy. It's like we're not doing Chekhov when we are doing Back to the Future. But this show is truly one of the most amazing spectacles I have ever seen in a theater. It was unbelievable. I couldn't believe my eyes at what I was seeing. Casey Likes and Roger Bart as Marty McFly and Doc Brown, respectively, are truly unmatched. They, their comedic timing, their deliveries, their vocals, they were serving. But this ensemble, you guys, everyone is whacking their face. Everyone is singing their faces off, running around. The women are doing quick changes, sometimes two or three quick changes inside of a dance number. Like, it's crazy. And the the DeLorean, y'all, I hate to be this person, but like, it's the reason to see the show. It, it, it will blow your mind. I cannot recommend it enough. It's playing right now at the Winter Garden, but it's also about to go on a national tour. And I cannot wait to share some very exciting news about some very special people in my life who get to be a part of that show. So you guys run to see Back to the Future as soon as you can. And without further ado, let's dive right into this week's Broadway World Recap, brought to you by my wonderful partners at broadwayworld.com. First, you guys, we got the very exciting announcement that the 2023 Broadway revival of Parade is hitting the road in 2025. I know that I have spoken at length about this show on the podcast, but you guys, I'm just so, so excited that the entire country will get to see this show. Anybody who wasn't able to get to New York and, you know, pay these like crazy ticket prices in New York City and everything to get to see the show will get to see it across the country. I mean, it's it's amazing. It won the Tony Award for Best Revival of a Musical this year, and it is going to start in January of 2025 at Proctor's Theater in Schenectady, followed by its official tour premiere at Hennepin Theater Trust's historic Orpheum Theater in Minneapolis, my home theater, baby, where I literally would go and see Wicked and Phantom and all of these touring shows as a teenager. So I'm so excited about this. The only thing that I'm bummed by is the fact that we have to wait a full year. Come on. Uh, we need this story. We need this this show out on the road sooner. But hey, worth the wait, you guys. It's incredible. 
And speaking of shows helmed by the incredible director Michael Arden, you guys, we just got the announcement that a new musical adaptation of The Lost Boys is in development. I am so excited about this. I can't believe this hasn't been thought of before. I have loved this movie for so long. I think I was first introduced to it when I was like 11 or 12. And it's described as a teenage vampire movie that was tawdry, pulpy, and sexually charged. And it was a critical and commercial success and has since achieved cult classic status by transcending the genre with its unique blend of horror and comedy, which is like my tea. I live for it. It's so, so campy, but also so sexy and scary and dark. And I think it is truly perfect source material for a musical. I'm so excited about this. Hell, I want to be in this musical. The show is going to feature a book by David Hornsby, and the music is going to be written by The Rescues. No official word yet on when and where this show is going to be developed, but stay tuned because I will, of course, keep you updated as soon as I know anything. Next, you guys, there were some amazing nominations for Golden Globes this year that are super exciting for us theater nerds. First, Fantasia Barrino was nominated for Best Actor in a Motion Picture for Comedy or Musical for her performance in The Color Purple, which I am thrilled to see. I cannot wait to see this movie. And her co-star, Danielle Brooks, was nominated for Best Performance by a Female Actor in a Supporting Role for any motion picture for her performance in The Color Purple. So I'm so excited for these beautiful, amazing women. I cannot wait to see this show. Show. Freudian slip. This movie musical. It's going to be amazing. And also, Maestro was nominated for Best Director for Bradley Cooper, Best Performance by a Female Actor in a Motion Picture Drama for Carrie Mulligan, and Best Performance by a Male Actor in a Motion Picture Drama for Bradley Cooper. And it's nominated for Best Motion Picture Drama. You guys, I am so excited to see this story about Leonard Bernstein come to life. I'm thrilled. It comes out so soon, um, I believe on Netflix. And It looks absolutely beautiful. So congratulations to all of these amazing nominations, all the nominees. The Golden Globes are taking place on January 7th, 2024 on CBS. And lastly, you guys, Broadway favorite Renee Rapp and the icon herself, Miss Megan Thee Stallion, have released a new song for the Mean Girls soundtrack. And it is so good, you guys. It's called Not My Fault, which is a fun play on the line from the original Mean Girls movie where Lindsay Lohan is like, it's not my fault you're like in love with me or something. It's so good. Megan's rap verses are incredible. Obviously, Renee is singing down and it just made me so much more excited to see this movie. Renee is reprising her role of Regina George after doing it on Broadway and the movie comes out on January 12th. I am so excited. And you guys, this has been the Broadway World Recap. Oh my pod, you guys. I am so excited to welcome my next guest to the show. He is truly one of Broadway's true triple threats. I can confidently say, even though I we have just met. Please welcome Mr. J. Armstrong Johnson. Oh, thanks, Jake. Welcome to the pod. Oh, thank you. What a what a fierce intro. I'm bluffing. You can't tell because this is an aural medium, but I'm blushing yeah. <laughs> over here. <laughs> um, well, could you please tell the listeners where you're calling from? Because I think it's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. And I, <laughs> in true artist form. I am posted up in office number one on the third floor of Pearl <laughs> Studios. Come on, Pearl. 508th Avenue, honey. <laughs> oh my God. We all know her way too fucking well. Yes, we do. <laughs> well, Jay, thank you so much for coming on the pod. I I have been such a fan of your work for so long, and I I really do mean it when I say that you are someone who I believe is a true triple threat star of the stage and the screen. And I, I cannot wait to hear about all of your incredible um, endeavors. But I first just have to say that um, I was so thrilled to be able to see your performance in Parade. It was absolutely stunning. That show was unreal, and I I just can't wait to hear all of your thoughts. I had I had Harry and Sean on the podcast. Oh. I had Douglas Lyons on the pod. Like I, I made my rounds through the parade cast, but I'm so excited to hear your thoughts on it because you had such an incredible uh, role, and you you know you did it 
first at City Center and then in the Broadway revival. So tell me, like, what was your road to to that show? Um, well, I, I I wasn't like a lot of my like theater friends who like grew up on the parade soundtrack. Like, it's actually my best friend's like favorite musical. Like, she is she's obsessed with it and has and has mm-hmm. been since we were kids. So, but it wasn't one of those that I really like studied as a kid. I didn't really know about it until like college when like kids would sing it for like, you know, song rep class. Um, sure. but um, I've been, I've been friends with Michael Arden's husband, Andy Mantis since we were like 19. Cause we were in final callbacks for spring awakening together <laughs> back in the day. So, um, I've known Michael and Andy for a, a while. So I've, I've known them as friends before I've, known Michael as a collaborator. So I just remember hanging out with Michael. We were doing a concert in Tokyo um, a couple of years ago, and I guess he was working on Parade, and he just kind of mentioned, like, I'm thinking about you for a role in Parade. Is that something that you would want to do? And I was like, working with you, Michael? Yeah, literally anything. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So that was just like, that was just like a mention. And then like an audition came through and you know, I put myself on tape and, you know, Michael was like, you're my first choice for this, but just so you know, like the powers that be like, I'm not the only one making this thing happen. JRB has got to sign off on you. So, um, the process, you know, the, I, the process was a little easier than I anticipated. Cause you know, Jason knew me through Hal Prince, you know, I was one of Hal Prince's like, you know, he took me under his wing when we did Candide. And so I became kind of a part of like the Prince family, um, for a while there. So I got to meet Jason through Hal. And so Mm -hmm. it, um, I was, I was easily co-signed by Jason, um, just because of that connection through Hal and, you know, Parade is a Hal Prince, you know, produced and directed musical from the nineties. And so there's just so much synergy and connection there that I was just really um, grateful to like be in the right place at the right time with the right thing, you know? That's so, so cool. And you guys, I mean, I've, like I mentioned, I've spoken to a few people who did the show, but I think it's such an interesting um, avenue in because it's not like Mm -hmm. this was, you know, originally set up to be, what it became it it was right. the city center production where you guys basically had what like two weeks of rehearsal or something 10 days Barely. and it, you know that's not normal for for something of this caliber and you know this this scale so then to move to right. broadway did you did you know going in how special of a show you guys had created i mean i I kind of knew it was going to be special before we even started rehearsals for City Center because just the cast list came in and I was like, well, this is an embarrassment of riches. And then, you know, Michael was so aware of like the time constraints of what it meant to put this thing up on its feet in less than two weeks in front of a New York audience. And so he sent this really lovely, comprehensive email about like his vision for the show and his hope for the show and his like rallying of the troops around this piece at this time and acknowledged the like uphill battle that we had to get it up on its feet and just kind of asked us to like really be prepared and you know the the city center like encore contract um allows for you to have your book on stage with you and he really kind of encouraged us um to be off book so that the piece packed more of a punch Um, Because, you know, the rise in anti-Semitism was so wild these days. And he really thought that the piece could really um, say something uh, on a really deeper level if we actually did that hard, hard work going into it. So I I kind of felt I I felt that it was going to be special before we even began it, (laughs) if that makes sense. I don't know. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Well, and I also think, I mean, Parade is is based on an actual um you know series of events and and trial and real people right. and that's really cool and it's also not the only show that you have done that you know you are playing characters where that are based on real people because you have right. gotten to do a chorus line which you know just a little different than parade but uh i would <laughs> but i'd so love to hear about your experience doing that show because that's one you obviously did it at city center, but the tour as well. And, um, that is one of the, like, you know, sort of iconic Broadway staple shows. And it's an insanely dance heavy show. You guys are (laughs) Dawn Singh. 
what <laughs> was your road to a chorus line? I mean, were you always a dancer? I mean, I was a dance major at my performing arts high school um, at the Fort Worth Academy of Fine Arts. So oh, most hello, of my Fort like, <laughs> so most of my like training, training, proper training as a kid was was in dance, right? Like I was in choirs, but I never really took voice lessons. Like I did plays and musicals, but I never like took acting classes. But like dance class was something that I was doing an upwards of five hours a day, five days a week from the time I was like. 15 to the time I was 18 right so the that was like the crux of like my education and I was like a major that was my major I, I chose to be a dance major um in high school um because I loved it so much so to when I when I got into NYU I decided to be a vocal major because I wanted to play more roles and like I didn't want to be kind of pigeonholed as like a dancer ensemble chorus person so I really like sure. studied voice and um, but the dance auditions were where I felt most comfortable because that was kind of where I had most of my training. So I was skipping a lot of classes at NYU to like go <laughs> to like Broadway auditions and national tour auditions and open calls. So a chorus line, the revival, which was what, 2007, 2008 was on Broadway, like my freshman, sophomore year of college. So I was going to those Broadway replacement open calls like all the time and continuing to get called back for like a year and a half. I was like went on multiple auditions for it until the national tour came around my junior year and I got Mark um, on the national tour and I dropped out of school and never looked back. <laughs> Period. He said goodbye. <laughs> Bye. Wow. Incredible. And then how long, how long were you on the road with that show? Um, I signed a six month contract and I kind of only wanted to do six months and I had signed with an agency at the time that was like kind of interested in getting me back to the city as soon as possible. So after six months, I came back to the city, um, and then kind of did a couple of concerts, um, at NYU. Uh, but my replacement, Dave Hall, uh, actually sprained his ankle the day before he was supposed to replace me. So oh, they shit. asked me to. So they asked me to come back out on tour to replace my replacement while he healed his sprained ankle. Um, so that's when I got to like hang out with Robin Herter, which is when I first got to meet Robin because she replaced sure. Nikki Snelson after those first six months. So I got to do another like month and some change with like the new cast turnover. So I ended up doing a little over seven months on the road with a chorus line. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Guys, I mean, I I have such love and respect for that show. I have never done it, and I don't know if I could, first of all, just do it eight times a week, but then travel the country and do it. I mean, so obviously you, you mentioned Robin Herter. You went on to do it at City Center, which was insanity. That cast was insane. <laughs> The yeah. was the experience doing it on the road different than bringing it back to New York and doing it at City Center? Absolutely, darling. On the road, I was twenty years old. I wasn't even like legal to drink on the road. <laughs> like at City Center, <laughs> it was a decade later, and I was playing Bobby and not Mark. Right, so like, yeah, I yeah, like yeah. changed roles to an old. I mean, I was all of a sudden instead of being the youngest one on the line, I was one of the oldest ones on the line and my body felt it and Fierce. my spirit felt it. <laughs> and like, we only had to do it for that one week at mm -hmm. city center. I don't know. I mean, I actually don't know if, if my um, sweet, lovely body can sustain like a major dance show like that eight times a week ever again, <laughs> to be completely sure. honest. <laughs> those, those days might be over. <laughs> well, and that one, I feel like the, the city center one truly like, it it just sort of like leveled up the show in a way that mm -hmm. we didn't even really know it could go. I mean, like everyone, it's just like, like the, the standard, the baseline was like, okay, triples and legs up here. And we're going <laughs> to do this and we're going to do that. I mean, it was like, and did Bayork set it? Was it Bayork? Yeah, it was both, it was both Bayork and Bob Avian. So, you know, the, oh, they, and they set God. my tour as well. So it was like, it was this really cool like full circle moment where like the people that gave me my first big job that allowed me to drop out of college all of a sudden gave me another big job 10 years later. Wow. And it was almost as if no time had passed, except all of a sudden I had this like resume. So I was just more by these people that I've respected <laughs> for my entire career. Sure. And, you know, Bob passed away not too, not too long ago. So to be able to work with him, 
one last time before he passed was really kind of beautiful and bittersweet. Yeah. And, and on the show that they created, I mean, I, I feel a a similar bond with Chicago just because I have gotten to work. um, Like anytime I'm, I'm working on Chicago, it's with Mm. the people who created it. And so it's like, that's, it's such a special um, connection that you feel to like a piece. And, and like you said, like at different points in your career and everything. And so to get to revisit it, I'm sure was just, just fascinating. Yeah. And I've been so lucky. Like I was able to, do Phantom of the Opera and touch a lot of the original people that created that, like Hal Prince, and, Girl. you know, Girl. David Caddick. And <laughs> we got to talk about Phantom of the Opera Beach because you, okay, you go, I, yeah, I was just like a dancer, didn't really take voice lessons, whatever. And then he's singing Raul Vicom de Chonye Beach on Broadway. We got to talk about it. 30th anniversary cast on Broadway of, I would say, the most iconic Broadway show ever. My first Broadway show I ever saw. Really? What did you, did you think that that was a track for you? Like, have you always been like, oh yeah, I'll do Raul. I had never seen Phantom of the Opera until, like, one of my very good friends, Mary Michael Patterson, was playing Christine Daae on Broadway. And I was like, well, you know, my one of my best girls is leading a Broadway show. I better go see her in it. So that's <laughs> yeah. when I first saw it, right? Um, and looking on that stage when I was watching that show, I was like, well, this is not a show for me, but I'm glad to experience this, right? So it was, <laughs> yeah. it was never on my radar. It was not a musical that I studied. It was, you know, I, I never thought that I would be, like, the tall, strapping, you know owner of the, you know, opera, you know, but because of my connection to Hal Prince and Candide, um, that's how it kind of happened. You know, I was, I did Candide and then I was doing a television show around that same time and my television show got canceled. So I was feeling pretty good about myself and I had a one bedroom apartment and living by myself for the first time ever. And then all of a sudden my TV show goes away and I don't have means to pay rent. And so Hal was the first person I called just to be like, dude, I'm, I'm kind of nervous. I think I'm going to have to move out of my place. I'm unemployed. I thought my TV show was going to last longer than this. I'm just, you know, call on the top of the food chain to see if you have any advice for me. And he was like, well, they're looking for a new Raoul replacement on Broadway. So let me, <laughs> let me make a couple of phone calls. And then all of a sudden I had an audition for Raoul like the next week. And then I went in three times. You know, I had, the callback process was pretty extensive. Um, and And the final... The final callback, they had a camera in there to film it, to then send the film to Andrew Lloyd Webber and to Cameron McIntosh for them to sign off on me. Um, wow. And so that's that's how Phantom came about. And it was to literally save me from having to move out of my apartment. <laughs> wow. And then you went on to be... I mean, I feel like you are the type of person who, when you go into a show that has been running that long or, or you know, is such a machine, you are the type of person who can bring new life to it and and sort Mm. of like inject new um i don't know light and and excitement in it because you know sometimes it gets stale even from Mm. an outside perspective like like people going to see the show who have seen it 10 times Mm. are still seeing the same thing over and over and so Mm. to to bring someone in who's well known like you and who has you know the the um the fresh eyes and like Mm. the fresh experience I think is really important and I think it's so cool that you you got to do it I'd love to to know more about just like being in a show that is that huge because it's it's a different beast than doing parade where it's like you guys are all on stage there's there's like not there's nothing to hide behind in a show like that but Phantom has like the darkness and the Mm. the music the scale like what is that like I mean, it, it was the first show that I've done on Broadway where I wasn't an original cast member, right? This, this is my first time I ever replaced. And so that was new for me. So um, yeah. to go into a show where someone had been working there for 18 years was just a totally different vibe in the building, right? It's like, it's a very wild family type atmosphere <laughs> where very people bad. have, you know, put their children through college on one show, which is just like unheard yes. of. 
Um, yes. The, the gift that Hal was able to give to me in doing this was, I've always heard horror stories about replacement replacing in a machine like that and how you know how regimented it is and how the rules are this and you have to hit this mark and you have to say a line like this and you you know um a chorus line often often felt like that even though we were like a new company um because of the history of it but how really told the team at phantom to like let let my instincts shine through he was like wow is always been a stick in the mud and I trust Jay's instincts and I want to so let, let Jay do what he wants so he kind of gave me carte blanche to like really put my own spin on Rel and uh, do my own thing with it that maybe hadn't been done in 30 years um, yeah so that that was lovely I mean there was some <laughs> it, it took some getting used to especially for the creative team to like uh, have someone be given that kind of uh, right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know <laughs> ability to like not listen to, to like the 30 years of history um, but yeah. I really appreciated Hal trusting me to kind of put my own like flavors into it yeah that's so yeah. cool did you feel like like it, this is the height of glamour you're in these like crazy costumes and running all around and there's smoke and fire oh. Oh yeah, I mean it's so it's such a heightened reality and like that was one thing that Hal always told us in rehearsals is like just remember that you're in a hit and that it's melodrama, <laughs> you know, like and I was I had, like, Hal. A, yeah, girl, I had a three-piece suit that was gorgeously tailored to my body and like because I'm a little on the shorter end of things they gave me like a little 2-inch lift and my heel like I, I had like Ooh. a little heel, you know. So I did <laughs> I felt bougie and expensive and yes. you know, I'm I'm usually the character actor that's a little like yucky yucka. And so this is the first time I got to like step into a power and like hold my chest high and like own this so opera sissy. company and be like the, you know, romantic lead Your to the leading lady. Billowing you know? open. <laughs> <laughs> your bare chest it in the lair. <laughs> who was your first um like Christine and, and Phantom? Who were who were um, playing those roles when you went in? It was Allie Ewalt. Um yes! and Ben Crawford. Uh, wow. who were both like friends of mine. You know, I, I met Allie doing like concerts and going to events and Ben and I, of course, had known each other from 35 millimeter. Um, right. So yeah, the, it was, and they were, God, we had so much fun. We actually got in trouble a lot backstage because of our social media presence. We were not quite on brand with what Phantom was hoping <laughs> to put out into the world. So like we got like our hands like smacked every now and again for being sure. wild backstage on our social media channels. <laughs> <laughs> but the fans loved it. The P-H-A-Ns that's loved right. <laughs> your shenanigans backstage. They sure did, that's, honey. That's what we live for. Are you kidding? Yeah, we were bringing a new audience to this old-ass dusty show and, you know, London right. didn't like it. So whatever, London, yes, we get it. Of course. <laughs> the Brits. And now it's closed, so... Uh, I know. <laughs> <R. I. D. laughs> Devastating. Well, I have been a fan of yours for quite some time, but I, I am so excited to get to actually like put put a face to you know a real face to to you and and your work because <laughs> I've I've never gotten to meet you and I'm so I'm just inspired by you. I I have uh... to say I you your work is crazy it's everywhere you've done so many things you've done tv and and you know you continue to to make your mark on the world of new york theater and i am just so excited that you continue to um seek out those opportunities because i feel like there are people who who fall in love with theater or or you know start here and then make their way to tv film and then that's mm. it because that that's where the money is honey and mm. it's a real enticing thing um so it's amazing and um just refreshing to see you continue to i mean you've done so many fucking shows like on the town hands on a hard body like what is there is there one thing that you look for in a piece that um you're really drawn to in terms of like taking on a new show or is it just kind of you you audition and you you know work with people who are excellent collaborators and then the piece is the piece i mean uh, that's a really great question i i try uh this business is so good at putting artists in boxes and being like this is what you do and it's yeah. been kind of my goal to 
confuse the industry with every new job that I have to be like, wait, a chorus line? Wait, a rock show? Hair? Wait, a country show? Wait, right. a dance show? Bernstein? Wait, mm-hmm. an operetta? Candy? You know, I'm, I, <laughs> yes. I want to keep everyone guessing because I want to do so many things. Like, I, I love uh, growing. I love learning. I love being able to kind of fit into new molds that I would normally hadn't fit into. So, you know, Whoopi Goldberg said in, uh, a, in Sister Act 2 that she likes eclectic music. And, like, that's... <laughs> That's kind of how I want to like live my life and career is like through like an eclectic, I don't know, gaze. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Keep them guessing. Don't let them put you in a box. Period. Well, you continue to do that because your, your annual Halloween concert that has now become this like very sought after event is, is one that, um, not only is it a, a beautiful fundraiser that benefits an incredible organization, Ali Forney, and, you know, um, mm. advocating for LGBTQ rights and, and youth, but um, you, I love that you don't take yourself too seriously to quite literally put on the wig and the heels and be <laughs> Miss Winifred Sanderson. What, what inspired you to do that in the first place? I mean... First of all, I've always wanted to be winner for Sanderson for Halloween. I've just not had well, the money to pull it off. Oh, right. What homosexual does not want to be Bette Midler and Hocus Pocus? That's right. And I couldn't, like, admit that in Texas or else, you know, I might have found myself <clears throat> even more bullied than I was. Um, yes. But it's uh, always been this thing. I just knew that I didn't want to do it half-ass. Like, when I played, when, when I did Winifred Sanderson for Halloween, I would want it to be, like, done well. I would want to, like, have the money <laughs> to be able to, like, nail it, right? Yeah. So my first television show kind of gave me that opportunity. And so with the money from my first season of shooting Quantico, I was able to produce my own solo concert at 54 Below and do, like, a live album of that concert and release that album over, like, October of that year and so I just decided to do like a Halloween album release party where we got dressed up as characters from Hocus Pocus and did songs from my album and then added some spooky tunes just to make it a Halloween event so that's Mm -hmm. that was the like that was the like what started as was just like a fun stupid Halloween release party but we had so much fun and like I lived my best dreams that we had the costumes <laughs> we had the wigs we just decided to continue doing it every year and for the first few years it was just fun it was just me and like some of my closest friends getting together to like throw a halloween party and everyone got paid a little bit and you know we didn't really make any money off of it it was just like a way to have fun and collaborate um and then when i started working more closely with broadway cares and doing broadway bears and probably backwards and these fundraising events i kind of realized that I could turn my Halloween show into that kind of event and to raise money for a good cause. So we worked two or three years with Broadway Cares. Last year, they introduced us to the Alley Forney Center. And so it's just grown ever since then. So, you know, I, I have a site visit to, to we're looking to expand to a bigger venue next year because we kind of have outgrown Sony Hall. Um, yes, so which is wild. We're, we're, which is wild. <laughs> so, you know, I already have meetings on the books for our ninth anniversary of I Put a Spell on You. And it's, oh it's wild God. to see how far it's come and to see how many artists say yes and to see them execute on such a high level every year. I mean, it really is kind of a humbling and like wildly exciting experience to be able to collaborate with people that are doing so well in like the theatrical realm and then to say yes to my project. And I don't know, it... Um, to raise money. I mean, uh, I'm just, I'm beside myself with happiness and uh, with, with how it's all kind of um, growing um, and how much it's become this thing that I didn't quite realize it could become. (laughs) That's so cool. And, and how amazing too, that like, not only was it just like a fun passion project for you, but it raises awareness and raises money for incredible organizations. And, you know, you've touched on it a little bit, but um, I just had the pleasure of going to the Red Bucket Follies, which was the celebration for um, Broadway Cares. And, you know, obviously came to Broadway Bears, which we must talk about because Bears is something that like, for a long time, I've been like, kind of afraid like I really want to do it I think it'd be so fun but I'm also just like I don't know I don't know but I went and saw it for the first time 
And it was the most beautiful celebration of queer people, queer people of color, people of any gender expression, any body type. Like it was so one thing in my head. Mm. And then getting to see it live for the first time, I was like, oh my God, this is just this is just a celebration of everyone. And, and it's, you know, to raise money for this incredible organization, Broadway cares, equity fights AIDS. So tell me about, you know, how you first got connected with that incredible show. And is it scary to be shaking your little booty out on a stage in front of 2000 people? Uh, yes, of course it's scary. And, you know, I had a similar like idea of what Broadway Bears was when I was younger. And I was like, that's not for me. Like, it's for like a jacked, like body, yadi, yadi, like dancer, dancer, dancer. Like it's, this is not my space. Right. Until. Sure. Yeah. Jay Armstrong Johnson is known for not having a body or being a dancer. Clearly. No, but this was like years ago when like, I was like, you know, a bit more prudish and not leaning into sexuality and staying close. Sure. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I met Jerry Mitchell through doing catch me if you can on Broadway. Right. right? So like that was my first intro to like Jerry. Um, and I had seen a Broadway bears back during that time. Um, and, uh, and really enjoyed myself. Right. But it, it wasn't until I was able to do it at Hammerstein ballroom in 2016, because they asked me to be a part of it because I had done Quantico. Right. So as a Broadway boy, mm-hmm. I'd had a little bit of a resume on Broadway and then I had a TV show. So all of a sudden I was sure. just like, Oh look, he, now he's got a verified check on Instagram. So let's put him, <laughs> you know, so that's right. how I got involved uh, <laughs> as like a, a performer in bears. And I was nervous. Of course I was nervous, but I had friends that were doing it and I trusted um, the director, um, Nick Kenkel, who was also the um, dance captain, associate choreographer on uh, Catch Me If You Can. So these were friends of mine that I'd worked with before that um, were kind of ushering me through <laughs> this right. thing. And I just remember, one, being totally terrified, right? Being ass out in front of 2,000 people is yeah. wild. But it was yes. also, I've never felt so much energy coming at me from an audience. Like, I truly felt like I was in a stadium concert tour and I was the fucking star, right? It was like, right. I never right. felt that kind of energy. Giving Beyonce at yeah, the Hammerstein Ballroom. It's giving Beyonce at Hammerstein, right? <laughs> so that was fun and exciting and totally overwhelming. And then by the end of the show, when they were announcing how much money that we had raised, like, and there's Judith Light, like, giving this gorgeous speech. I just found myself, like, weeping, like, tears of happiness and gratitude and seeing this community that Jerry began 30 years ago grow into what it has become. Like, um, that's why I was like, oh, now I get it. This isn't just about shaking your ass and feeling, like, sexy. Yes, it is that, but it's way more than that. It's it's more about a yeah. community coming together to, like, raise money for incredible causes. <laughs> you know, and that's... totally. I was a scholarship kid growing up. I never paid a dime for any of my theatrical training. So knowing that there are organizations out there that provided me the opportunity to do what I love as a young queer kid, I know that like so much of what I want to be and do in this world as an artist to give back to those kinds of organizations that like gave so much to me, if that makes sense. Totally. Absolutely. Well, I I mean, switching gears a little bit, but um, off of that vein, I would love to hear about your experience as as a young queer person growing up in mm. Texas. Did you have an, an upbringing that was particularly um, like theatrical or musical? I mean, I think I think I read somewhere that you did Peter Pan as a kid. <laughs> but what like what set you up to to want to do this? I mean, music has always been in my family. Like my dad's a drummer and a singer. And always kind of has been. My mom and my aunt would always, like, sing in, like, cute two-part harmony, like, around holidays. So, like, music has always been in my blood and in my family. Um, And I just remember, like, going to Disney on ice for the first time at age four and being like, this is the most magical thing I've ever been to. Or going to the circus and being obsessed with clowns for six years of my life and only being a clown for Halloween for like six years in a row. Like I was so, (laughs) I was so attached to this idea of entertainment, to this idea of performance, uh, but didn't realize that I could quite access it as me. Right. So it was when I, I, I guess fifth grade is where it really began because Mr. Ingram's fifth grade English class always put on a much abridged version of Romeo and Juliet. And 
my sister played Juliet the year before me because she's a year older than me. And like, I wanted uh-huh. to play Romeo so badly, but I was the only person in public school system of Texas that wanted to put on white tights and recite Shakespeare in front of a school body <laughs> at age, what, <laughs> 10, 12, 11, yeah. 12, right? So, so I, you know, I got to play Romeo. So that was the first time I was like, I want to be an actor. So like at age 15, I was like, I want to be an, not age 15, at, how old are you in the fifth grade? <laughs> I think you were right. I think like 10 or 11. 10. Yeah. I want, I knew I wanted to be an actor then. Um, wow. And then I joined the church choir because um, I love to sing. And so as a sixth grader, I was a boy soprano in my church choir. And I would have like little angel solos, you know, around Christmas time. <laughs> and I had a couple of friends that went to my church that were a part of this theater company called KWC Performing Arts. Um, and they said I should come audition for a musical and I did and I got one of the leads and I really got that theater bug and was like mm-hmm. oh, okay so by age 12 I knew exactly what I wanted to do and I was like this is what I'm gonna do and then by age 13 I was playing Peter Pan and Peter Pan at that same theater company and I was like great I'm gonna Crazy. move to New York after high school I'm gonna go to NYU I literally like made a plan at age 13 go to <laughs> NYU beyond Broadway by the time I'm like 18, you know, it took me till I was 21, but you know, (laughs) but that's kind of how it all started for me. Wild. And, and did you feel like theater offered you something that, um, you weren't getting other places in terms of your like queerness or did, did you understand that you were queer at a young age? I, I didn't quite understand I was queer because I was told that to be gay was an abomination um, that it was right. against God. And I was a straight A student that went to church every Sunday. Like I was a good, good boy. Like there's mm-hmm. no way I could be gay. There's no possible way I'm hearing. Right. I've done everything this. correct. Yeah. I'm, I'm so correct. <laughs> right. And so right. I didn't think I was, I didn't know I was gay until I was like 15 or 16 when I was meeting gay people for the first time, when I was actually being cast in professional productions. Right. So, and then I was like, Oh wait, now they're bringing in all of these New York artists and we're doing Beauty and the Beast together in my hometown at my regional theater. And now I'm seeing all of these lovely humans that are smart and talented and sweet and kind and mm-hmm. Christian even and gay. Like, and love themselves. And yeah. love themselves. And uh, yeah. so that, so, you know, it, it takes, you gotta, you gotta meet people to like understand the world and to know that, you know, they're not just hell bound. So yeah, it, I it did change my life and my world and when I found out that there was a you know a, a performing arts high school in my hometown I was like a get me out of this public school system I'm the oh, like I'm being absolutely yeah so I went from being like bottom of the food chain made fun of like tortured on a daily basis for being gay even though I didn't even know I was gay I guess they could smell <laughs> exactly. it on me to like yep. being <laughs> literal prom king at my performing arts high school right like Period. that's like so like it was such a a wild change, you know. Uh, J A J is the prom king. I live <laughs> title of episode, bitch. <laughs> so then, have you have you gone on to um to feel any type of um being boxed in in terms of being a queer performer? I mean, I I mm. assume, and I you know, I guess I shouldn't assume, but um, you are a cisgender man and you also i would imagine come or or have gained um privilege just in being perceived as a man and Mm. you know a and you are also a fantastic actor so if you are playing a person who is in love with a woman you can do that but Mm. um how have you been met with any um sort of like limitations or or um boxes being put around you in terms of your queerness? Yeah, I mean, in my early 20s, like right around hair time, you know, there was a manager that like sought me out. And I remember this particular woman um, encouraging me to not be seen in public with my boyfriend, encouraging me to chemically straighten my hair because boys with curly hair don't play leading roles, encouraging, like... uh, it was Jesus. just like, you know, I was I was early 20s. I was just breaking into the industry. I was, you know, understudying Gavin Creel in a, in a Broadway show, like wanting so badly to like get my 
next foot in the next door. And I was kind of brainwashed by this woman into like dimming my queer light in 2008, nine, you know, when like marriage equality was being passed. And so there was this like really wild, this wild, like cognitive dissonance about like, being in hair and celebrating queerness and marching on Washington for gay rights and then having a manager that was like, dim that queer light, don't hide be seen it. in public. Yeah, hide it. Um, Gross. So, you know, I've, I finally kicked that manager to the, the curb. And the second that I did that, like, doors opened and things happened. But, Thank you know, I, I, I do still feel as though that there are, like, a group of, like, straight white theater boys that get all of the straight roles <laughs> not yep. uh, not always i mean i got a straight role in on the town but that's because all of this group of straight right theater boys can't dance right i can and so Period. i Period. Did, right um but like I, I yeah it's uh i still feel <laughs> the the conversation around what it means to be queer as an actor or should straight people play queer roles should queer people stay play straight roles it's uh-huh. it's such a nuanced and uh hard conversation to have um but if i'm being completely honest i would say the last decade of my career i would say 75 percent of the auditions that i've received are for queer roles right there i don't i don't often get seen for straight roles and when i do i don't often book them (laughs) unless it's halperin's telling me to go be in phantom of the opera because right unless he's my dad the most iconic director and creator (laughs) being like you should be the leading man in the most iconic Broadway show ever. For sure. And most of, I mean, most of the roles <laughs> I've played over the course of my career have been straight, right? I've only played like a couple of queer roles in my life. I don't know. Wow. It's just so strange. I feel like there's like this weird, uh, you said it correctly. It's such, it's like this cognitive dissonance of like, okay, I can do this. I can be anyone. I'm so versatile. And right. so I have to be like everyone else. Right. Because that'll that'll get me the job. It's like, right. wait, first of all, what stories are we even fucking telling? Why do I totally. want to tell that story anyway? When I'm still in the process of kind of weeding away this like heteronormative way of going through life, especially as an actor and trying to like, you know, make the business look at me in a certain way. Like I'm so over that now. Like, right. I'm right. trying to like, uh, I'm trying to, um, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to remember the eight-year-old kid that would spurlunk through his grandmother's closet and try on her heels and her sequin mumus and, like, traipse around her house living his best dreams. Like, that's who I've always been in my heart. Yeah. And I've really dimmed that part of me to try to fit into this mold of wanting to be a leading man. And I'm saying all of that now, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, screw that. I'm, yeah, I am going to the ladies section at the department stores first to see what tickles my fancy. Like, Correct. I'm going and getting manicures and pedicures, honey. Like, I'm, I'm like, leaning into this thing that always excited yes, me baby. as a kid that I've, like, tried to stay away from because of this, that, and whatever. But it's it's fun. And it's, it's so, it's so, uh, God, it's, like, I don't know. It's freeing. It's, uh. Totally. And, you know. Thank God for the Billy Porters of the world and um, that have kind of, of paved course. this way for a new way of like living and thinking and dressing and yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's hilarious that you literally did hair penis out and then went on to do Broadway Bears and you're like, I'm a little scared. <laughs> I just have to say that. Come on. Well, it's it's one thing to like be holding your tribe members' hands and screaming the word freedom at the top of your lungs while <laughs> dick out, and, yeah. and then be like, but then be like, ass out on the sexy. You know, it's like a sexy vibe is different than like a protest vibe. If you know what I mean. <laughs> I think you're wrong. I think they are one and the same. I protest Work very bitch. sexually. <laughs> I love that. Well. Before I let you go, God, you are just an absolute treat. Before I let you go, I have a series of rapid fire musical theater questions that I ask oh, all of my guests. Oh, God. Not trivia. These are, these are specific to you. Okay, great. Are you ready? <laughs> ready. Sondheim or Andrew Lloyd Webber? Sondheim. Sweatpants or jeans? Jeans. Do you have a favorite musical? A side story. 
Do you have a least favorite musical? Spill it on the podcast, Jay Armstrong Johnson. Of if then. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Jackie Burns. We're done. Um, Would you ever like to do a Broadway play? Absolutely. Love. Are you a morning person or a night owl? I'd have to say night owl. Same. What is the craziest thing a director has ever asked you to do? You have a very extensive career, so I'll I'll give you as much time as you need with this one. Um, the craziest thing a director has ever asked me to do. <laughs> Either um, in a rehearsal room or an audition. I guess. I guess it felt crazy at the time. This doesn't necessarily feel like it's a crazy thing to be asked to do because it was literally my (laughs) job, but it felt crazy to me in the moment. And it was when they like gave Aaron Tveit the morning off of tech of Catch Me If You Can. And so they asked me to step into his place. So it was like I was on stage doing the like one of the big production numbers. And so I like got to ride the elevator up and it was, you know, it was like the big like fly away song and catch me uh-huh. can't even remember the name of the song um but i remember aaron coming in the back of the theater and like standing at the back and like watching me do his role on stage <laughs> while i was standing in for him while they gave him the morning off and i remember just being like this is wild <laughs> and you're like and then, hi <laughs> and then i never went on <laughs> he never let me go on <laughs> thanks aaron <laughs> Son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> golden age or contemporary? Contemporary. <laughs> Do you have a favorite role you've ever played? I would probably have to say Banco in Scotland, PA. Um, oh, yeah. I just, I just had too much fun. Like That was the one based on Banquo, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's... yes. It's essentially the Scottish play that was turned into a movie in like the 70s or 80s. And then that uh-huh. movie was then turned into a musical called Fierce. Scotland PA. Um, and I, I auditioned for um, the lead, right? I wanted to like play the lead. I wanted to play Mac. I wanted to be Macbeth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't quite fit. And so Lonnie Price, the director, asked me to like, at my audition, asked me to like, learn the banco sides um and i was like okay fine whatever and i didn't really care and so i just like made a stupid choice um because i didn't really want to play the supporting role but i guess me not caring (laughs) um and making a stupid choice was absolutely what they were looking for because like i had the entire room in stitches um and then i and then it became my favorite thing that i've ever done because it was just a way for me to access comedy uh, in a way that I had never been able to before. Um, so yeah. yeah, that's probably my favorite. <sighs> that's so fun. Yeah. Um, are you a coffee or tea girly? Coffee. Same. <laughs> what is the hardest show that you've ever done? Oh, shout out Starbucks. We're drinking on the pod. <laughs> the hardest show I've ever done is probably on the town. Uh, yeah, it was a year of my life and it was the way I had to warm up for that show, uh, the kind of physical therapy that I had to go through, the kind of mental health uh, issues that I was having around the time, leading my very first Broadway show amongst uh, amidst a Tony Award season was like a new thing for me. Uh, the cool down. Yeah. So it was mentally and physically uh, exhausting and also one of the best years of my life. Right. Um, but Wow. It was the first time I was like, because I've always like, I want to be a lead on Broadway. And then finally I was a lead on Broadway and realized that it was the hardest job maybe ever, <laughs> mentally yeah, and yeah. physically. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a hard one. That was a tough one. Would you cool down between shows, like on two show days? Um, no, not necessarily. I, don't, I wouldn't do my like true cool down until the end of the day. Um, I, I wouldn't cool down between shows. I would just kind of re-warm back up before the second show oh my god that's insane i wish i could have seen that show i watched every bootleg possible oh, um so fun 
Could you name all of the Broadway theaters that you have performed in? <laughs> okay, Parade He's was the Jacobs. <laughs> Parade was the Jacobs, the Bernard B. Jacobs Theater. Um, Phantom of the Opera was the Majestic Theater, which I hope they rename the Prince soon. Um, fabulous. On the Town was the Lyric Theater, formerly known as the Ford's Theater. Um, Hands on, on a Hard Body. Hands on a Hard Body was. They've just renamed it, but at the time it was. Uh, it was the. Uh, oh, I'm gonna forget. Okay, wait. I know the hair was at the Al Hirschfeld Theater, formerly the Alvin. Um, and then Catch Me If You Can was the Neil Simon, but Hands on a Hard Body is now called something different. It's where six is right now, and it's called like it's like some it's ladies. It's the Lena name. Horn. It's the Lena Horn now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But back then it was some lady's name. I'm fucking dead. Oh. Oh, this is gonna drive me fucking nuts. <laughs> it. This is so embarrassing. I I ask you as if I know everything. The Brooks answer. Atkinson. Ugh. The Brooks Atkinson. <sighs> That's what it was called. <laughs> Damn it. Um, do you have a favorite costume that you've ever worn? Um, I mean, my, my favorite costume to wear is probably Winifred Sanderson. Just because the, <laughs> the second that I step into that dress and that wig, I truly transform into her She's and have there. been... She's there, and I've been doing it for eight years, and the way I can access that character is kind of scary to me. Um, <laughs> but if I had to pick a costume that's, like, outside of the thing that I produce, I would probably have to say when I did hair, um, when I would go on for a tribe member, like, the Michael McDonald, the costume designer, like, made us each our own very specific tribe costumes, and they were based upon, like, the tribe character that we built um, with... Cool the rest of the cast. And so my tribe character was from Texas and grew up outside of Austin. And, you know, uh, his name was Mac. Um, and so I remember Michael made me this like very Texas, like red, white, and blue with, with like fringe. It, it was very, it was very me. Ooh, uh, yeah. So it was, it, so I really, uh, that costume is like near and dear to my heart because it was created with for you. this character. Yeah. yeah That's for so sure. cool. Have you mm -hmm. ever missed an entrance? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Specifically in college, I remember, and my director like just essentially read me the riot act when I missed it. And I was like, what? Like I was on stage for five seconds for a spotlight to hit me and then go out. Shut up, John. But no, I did. I've definitely missed entrances. <laughs> <laughs> well, my last question for you, which I ask every single guest is, what is one mm. thing that you would tell baby Jay? Uh, <laughs> you're not running out of time. Slow down. Uh, live in the moment. Uh, breathe. Um, I, I've always felt like I'm behind. I've always felt like, um, yeah, I've, I've always felt like, uh, I've needed to play catch up my whole life and career. Uh, and I think that kind of energy has not allowed me to like, kind of live in the moment. And so that's, that's what I would tell baby J is live more in that moment. Queen. Love. I love it. Well, Jay, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast. Will you tell the listeners where they can find you on the socials and keep up with all of your shenanigans? Absolutely. Um, you can find me on Instagram at J underscore A underscore Johnson, because I want to make your life a living hell. Um, <laughs> you can also check out my website, jarmstrongjohnson.org. Um, and I'm also on Twitter or X, and I rarely post, so um, maybe don't check that out. <laughs> yeah, <But that's> great. <laughs> Yay. Well, thank you. Thank you. You are such a delight. I'm so glad that I got to have you. Me too. Thanks for having me, Jake. I really appreciate it.
You guys, that's it for another episode of Oh My Pod, you guys. Please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you listen to the pod. You can follow the show on Instagram at Oh My Pod, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Talk soon. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.